How's it going? This is Work of the Beat. It is Thursday, uh, Wednesday, November 24, 2021. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. As we got a jam-packed show here for you this afternoon, uh, Mr. Kern will join me in a few minutes, and so will Mike Silski, the uh, columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer. We'll talk a little Eagles. We'll talk a little Flyers, who seem to be really forgot how to put the biscuit in the basket these days as they continue their Florida tour tonight in, in Miami uh, after struggling and getting shut out last night in against the two times defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, we'll talk Eagles, who go to the Meadowlands. Joe Judge is going to, I'm sure, remind everybody in that locker room that it was the Eagles who kept them out last year by laying down against the Washington football team. So, But suddenly an Eagles team that is very hot, very hot, able to run the football. Um. And Jalen Hurts has looked pretty good the last couple of weeks. And I'll give Nick Sirianni a lot of credit. I didn't think I would say that this year, but Sirianni has managed to get this team uh, playing together and playing at a fairly high level. You know, I thought they played really well last week against the Saints. I get it that the New Orleans came back. Um, Yeah, did Jalen Hurts miss a, few pa- miss a few passes? He did, but... You know, overall, the progression has been there, and that's kind of what we talked about before the season you want to see. So we'll talk to Mike about that. We'll talk Ben Simmons, I'm sure. Then Mr. Kern and I will talk a little college football. Boy, James Franklin gets a 10-year extension. I I don't know if that's worth the paper it's printed on, but it keeps the question at least on, off the table for the next couple of years and takes him out of the USC and Florida and LSU um, sweepstakes. So a lot going on next week. We're back on Thursday. Uh, we have a couple guests lined up and uh, trying to decide which one we want to plug in given the week. Uh, remember that the Eagles have back-to-back games in New York, Giants, then Jets, then the bye. So it's uh, trying to pick apart where things are going with this football team. They could be a playoff team. It's hard to believe this. The way they started, and when they left Las Vegas, you thought that maybe they would be the number one pick. Heck, they may not even get a top 10 pick at this point because Miami's playing better too. So, um, you know, they had those three picks, and, and Indy obviously, you know, going to Buffalo and winning. It's a very strange NFL this year. It really is. Eh? Top to bottom, you look at where they are, where all these teams are, you know, Arizona is the only team that only has two losses to this point. Um, you know, the Rams, I think everybody thought would be the, the team to be in the NFC. They're not really there. You know, Tampa has looked good at times, but they've had injury concerns. Um, Green Bay, now you wonder about Aaron Rodgers with the toe. Um, yeah, there's some there's some shifting sands, and the AFC is a mess. Although Kansas City may start to be uh, reasserting itself, if you will. So, uh, so yeah, it, 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 you know, if you're going to make the playoffs, you want to have a hope. Do I think the Eagles have a hope? Probably not. Do I think they're even going to run the table? I, I'm not sold on that either. I could see them losing to one of these games of the Giants, and I could see one of them losing one of these games of the Washington football team. And Taylor Heineke is not bad, people. You know, he's not great. You know, he's not, you know, he's not going to post a Mark Rippon type year, but he's not like an incompetent quarterback. You know, and, and, and Ron Rivera knows what he's doing. 
You know, the, 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 the problem there has never been necessarily the head coach. It's always been the owner. So we'll get to all that. But first, we'll get to Mr. Silski. We'll talk about his book on the rise uh, and his podcast about Kobe Bryant. And then we'll touch on everything else involving Philadelphia sports. That's next. Work going to be continues right after these messages. Well, the holidays are a perfect time to catch up with some old friends and uh, discuss things going on in the world. And uh, this man has a lot going on right now. So uh, joining us from the Philadelphia Inquirer, the fine columnist, award-winning columnist, and soon to be the author of The Rise, uh, the premier book on Kobe Bryant's formative years. That's not part of the title. I'm just calling it that. The Rise is the formal title. And also the host of the podcast about Kobe Bryant. It's Mike Silski. Mike, how are you? Doing great, Kev. Thanks for having me uh, right. on this Thanksgiving Eve. Thanksgiving. How was lunch? How was lunch, Mike? <laughs> lunch was excellent, Mike. I I enjoyed my sandwich and my apple. Uh, <laughs> all right. So the name of the podcast. Make sure I want to make sure it's right. Go ahead. Give the name of the, the podcast. The name of the podcast is I Am Kobe, and it is available anywhere you get your podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Google anywhere. Play. Yep, Google Play. It's a ten part. It's actually going to be 12 episodes, wow. um, but the narrative it's of the, the main narrative is going to be 10 parts, 10 episodes. And um, yeah, it's basically kind of complimentary to the book. It's the, it's the story of Kobe's early life. And we're three episodes into it so far. Three of them have dropped. Uh, we're going to be dropping one a week into January, and then we'll have two bonus episodes at the end. So that's where things stand with the pod. And the, the book comes out on, officially on... What January 11th, January 11th. And obviously it's close to, it's not right on the two year anniversary of Kobe's passing. What was the one thing when you were going through all this and the research that you found out that you didn't know going in? I mean, you, you were in a way we're all kind of in, you and I are in the same age group as what Kobe is. And we got to be around it a little bit, you know, what it was like in town when he was at lower Marion, but when you dug deeper into it, what was the one of the things you really found out or found surprising? I don't think I had an appreciation for um, how committed Kobe was in an early age to this path that he took to being great. You know, the idea that he was going to jump straight from high school to the NBA was an idea that he'd first contemplated when he was in eighth and ninth grade. Um, and... I also didn't understand and appreciate how, for lack of a better word, kind of orchestrated everything was. Like, they knew, they being Kobe and his family and, you know, a few close people around him, knew he was going to the NBA, like, before his senior year of high school began. And there was so much around him that year, so much speculation around him about is he going to go to college? If he does go to college, where does he go? Is he going to go to Duke? Is he going to go to LaSalle? Is he going to go somewhere else? Is he really going to go to the NBA? Um, and, and very little of the coverage around him at that time, very little of the information that was available to the public at that time, gave you an accurate impression of what he was thinking and planning. 
Um, there was no doubt in his mind he was going to the NBA after the summer of 1995 when he was scrimmaging against NBA players and, and holding his own against them and in some cases even playing better than they were. Um, and so that surprised me to a degree was how, how far from reality some of the coverage of him at that time was. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, so somebody should have uh, told Speedball. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mike, when because I, you know, I was covering college, so I, I wasn't really paying attention to Kobe, but I was paying attention to Kobe when they were doing great things and winning state titles and stuff like that. Do you think people really thought when Kobe was a senior at Lower Marion that he was going to be what he became, which, which is kind of, I mean, he's almost the equal of LeBron, I would say, in many ways. And LeBron was hyped up so much when he was coming up. Do you think that, or do you think Kobe kind of caught us by surprise? Because he did go like, what, 16th in the draft or whatever, and then got traded and all that kind of thing. Cal Parry supposedly wanted to take him eighth. When he, and took no, that, that's, act, that's actually, well, all right, so that story's in the book, Mike. That's a good segue. So to answer your kind of broad question, no, I don't think most people thought he would turn out to be arguably one of the 10 best players in the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talked to an ex-teammate of his, for instance, who was a year ahead of him at Lower Marion and came back to visit the team uh, when Kobe was a senior and this guy, Evan Monsky, was in his freshman year of college. And Kobe told him kind of casually, like, oh, hey, I'm going to the, you know, I'm going to the league next year, Ev. And in Monsky's mind, he thought like, oh, Kobe will go to college. He'll play a year or two wherever he goes, Duke, LaSalle, whoever, and then he'll be like a sixth man at best over like a 10-year career in the NBA. And he was floored that Kobe was going to jump straight to the NBA. So only a select few people really, I think, thought that Kobe could be, could do it and then be that great once he did it. Um, And what was this? I'm trying to think. Oh, the, the Calipari thing is interesting. I get into this in the book. John Nash, who we all know from, you know, St. Joe's guy, longtime Sixers and NBA executive, was the Nets general manager that year for the draft of 1996. He and Calipari were hired at the same time. Nash really wanted to take Kobe, really wanted to take Kobe. Calipari wasn't sure. And the Nets ownership did not want them to take Kobe. And they were picking, they were picking eighth. They were picking eighth. Yes. And, And they were the big hurdle that Kobe and Arn Tellum kind of had to clear in order for Kobe, their plan to, for Kobe to end up with the Lakers to work. They needed the Nets to pass on Kobe. So I get into the book about the machinations of, you know, Kobe threatens to go play in Europe if the Nets draft him. And the ownership of the Nets is worried that if they take Kobe, he's just going to leave the first opportunity he has to leave come free agency, which is a crazy thing to think about. Like, you're not going to draft a guy who may be great because he might leave. Like what kind of inferiority complex as a, as a franchise do you have? So Calipari, I think wasn't quite tough enough. If you want to put it that way or assured enough in his position to take a chance on Kobe. So they ended up taking Kerry Kittles instead. And we should point out that that was also the off season. I believe where Shaq left the magic to yes. go to the Lakers. So That's that correct. is also Maybe that's where the mindset of the Nets ownership came. The Shaq, the Shaq had no intention of staying in Orlando, never. And mm-hmm. he maybe that's where that mindset came from. There was one, there was 
two kind of questions I wanted to ask you, and they're different tracks. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one first since we're on the draft thing. Did the Sixers ever really seriously consider Kobe number one? That yes. was the that was the Iverson draft. Yes, it was the Iverson draft, but they did consider him. Tony DeLeo and Gene Shu um, were advocates uh, for taking Kobe. Brad Greenberg, though, kind of, you know, he was in as a new general manager. Um, you know, the idea of taking a high school kid with the number one overall pick, even one who was in your backyard, um, was still kind of a radical idea in 1996. Um, and Iverson was regarded as the best player in that draft. Pat Croce wanted them to take him because they needed scoring. Um, but they did consider it and they did think about it. Um, it was a discussion within the upper reaches of their organization at the time. Part two, it goes back to the high school era that Kobe played in. You know, three years before the best player in the country consensus wise was here in Rasheed Wallace. And yet it was so much different between Kobe and Rasheed. Um, you know, look, there was a passion with Rashid's recruiting, but we all kind of knew Rashid was going to Carolina. Okay. Once he got, if he got the grades, Rashid was going to Carolina and he was going to be a short timer. You're right. That difference of Kobe being mentally tough enough to know I'm going to the NBA. That's the big difference. And the hype considering the hype for Kobe was enormous compared to what it was for Rashid as well. Well, I think a couple factors are at play there, Kev. Number one, the hype was not there for Kobe throughout his high school career at Lower Marion. He kind of burst on the scene. I get into this in the book about how, you know, his freshman year, Lower Marion went four and 20, okay, which seems impossible. How do you have Kobe Bryant on your team and go four and 20? And we should point out Lower Marion's a strange district because it's not a Philadelphia team. It wasn't covered by the Daily News, uh, you know, because it wasn't the public or the Catholic League. And it really wasn't covered by, at that point, any of the suburban papers because it was, like, too close to Philly. It was, it's in that little strange little zip code there. Yeah, and, and even the Inquirer, which its bread and butter, in a way, was the Philly suburbs at the time, and it had the neighbors section where it could cover suburban high school sports, really didn't do a big blowout on him. It was a lot of game stories. It was a lot of kind of throwaway lines. Um, you know, Jeremy Treatman, who I know you guys know, is a yep. big character in the book. He was close with Kobe and was kind of lobbying the Inquirer to cover him more, and the Inquirer didn't do it. They regarded the city kids as having more cachet, and they were skeptical that a kid at Lower Marion could be that good. It was only entering Kobe's senior year where the the, the hype, as you said, Kevin, really starts to build and grow, um, You know, which kind of is mystifying to me in retrospect because he was – it's not like – Kobe was a complete unknown. He was the son of one of the city's greatest players ever and Joe Bryant, right? Like star at Bartram, star at LaSalle, NBA veteran. Like it seems like a natural story for everybody to cover. And they nobody really got on the train until late in Kobe's junior year and then into his senior year. Mike. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to ruin people who are going to buy the book, but could you just tell the story about how Kobe got named? Because I thought it was hilarious. Sure. So I always uh, thought it was because of Kobe Japan. Well, it kind of is. Um, so uh, Joe and Pam Bryant, back when Joe was playing for the Sixers, um, Joe and Pam obviously were living in on Remington Road in Wynwood. And the Sixers during that time would have training camp at one of two places. They would either, either have it for a while. They had it at Franklin and Marshall. And for a while, they had it at Ursinus College. And either way, if you lived in Wynwood and you were going to drive out to either Collegeville or Lancaster, you would have to drive through King of Prussia. And in, in, in King of Prussia, near a hotel, was the 
uh, Kobe uh, Japanese restaurant that Joe and Pam loved. And the owner became one of their friends. Um, several Sixers players would hang out there, Bobby Jones, Mo Cheeks, Julius Irving. And Joe liked the restaurant so much that when Pam was pregnant and had a boy, they decided to name him Kobe. Wow. So, and what's interesting is um, the announcement of Kobe's birth was was covered in both the Daily News and the Inquirer, um, and it was his name was spelled incorrectly, the same way in both publications, C O B I E. Um, so I don't know if it went out on a press release or something Jeez. like that, but uh, yeah, that's that's how Kobe got his name from a restaurant. Uh, the book, once again, coming out in January, it's The Rise, uh, the story of young Kobe Bryant and what made him one of the greats of NBA history. All right, let's get from one of the greats in NBA history to, um, well, one of the current uh, teams in NFL history. Where do you stand with the Eagles at this point? Are they really a playoff team in your mind? I think it, there's a very good chance they'll be in the playoffs, yeah. I mean, look at their schedule the rest of the way. You get the Giants twice. You get Washington twice, you get the Jets, um, and you get the Cowboys in the game, you know, final game of the regular season. Who knows what that's going to mean? Um, yeah, I think it's possible they'll be a playoff team. I mean, th- th- those remaining opponents stink for the most part. It doesn't mean that they're going to go unbeaten over that period. Uh, in fact, it wouldn't surprise me completely if they lost this Sunday just because Jason Garrett is going to be part of the Giants this <laughs> week. So they may have a competent offense accidentally. Um you know, the, the, the issue for me, guys, the bigger question is, yeah, is it good if they make the playoffs? Of course it is. But I'm not sure that still answers the core question of this team, which is, is Jalen Hurts your quarterback, you know, for the, the distant future? Um, yeah. I'm not sure you can, you can make that call yet uh, for a lot of reasons. And so um, it's still kind of a transition year for them. And then the more and more it looks like they're going to have three high first-round picks – um, the more I wonder, like, what are they going to use those picks on? And, you know, are they going to stick with Hertz and, you know, ride out the fact that he's still in his rookie contract and try to build around him? Or are they going to say to themselves, hey, we're going to take a quarterback? Well, and, and, you know, kind of along those same lines, we should point out the Bears made the playoffs last year, too. So uh, yeah. for whatever it's worth, that seventh playoffs seed does open in some weird possibilities. And that would probably be the way the Eagles would have to get in at this point would be as a number seven, you would think. Um, I'm fascinated, though, because it looks like Hertz, Hertz is becoming more comfortable. I don't think you can obviously question Hertz's toughness. I mean, he's taken a ton of hits, and he's willing to do a lot of things. The one nagging question, and I think it's a question everybody has, is can he make the big, big throw? He, he left some plays out there last week that probably should have been completed, and that changes the whole tone of the game. I mean, you know, they still won pretty comfortably, but there there were NFL throws there that he didn't make that, that I'm sure probably raised some eyebrows in the executive suite. Yeah, and I think you make a good point, Kevin, about the style of play that they've had to implement in order to extract the best out of him, right? They're running the ball so much. Mm-hmm. He's running the ball so much, which raises two different questions, right? Like, number one, when are opposing teams going to start figuring out how to stop that because even Lamar Jackson isn't gashing opponents in 2021 the way he was in 2019. Teams eventually figure out, you know, a good way to stop a system like that. And number two, 
How long can you count on him being your starting quarterback if he's going to play this way, if he's going to take these hits? You know, I'm working on a column now um, kind of tying the Eagles situation to the Giants and their recent history. And and look, the Giants have been god-awful for nine years now. They've had one winning season in nine years. They've royally screwed up the quarterback position by holding on to Eli Manning too long and then deciding Daniel Jones was going to be his successor. Mm -hmm. But that obscures the fact that for an eight-year period, from 2005 to 2012, with Eli as their quarterback, and Eli starting all 139 games that the Giants played over that period, playoffs and regular season. They never had a losing season. They made the playoffs five times, and they won two Super Bowls. And that's the value of having a guy that you can just say, he's our guy. I don't know yet that the Eagles can say that with Jalen Hurts. As much as people want them to say it, as much as we all say it every time a quarterback has a few really good games in a row – you know, I don't know that you can say that yet because of the style he plays, because for the reasons you cited about, you know, can he make the big throws? Can he beat teams from the pocket? We still have to figure all that out. The Eagles still have to figure all that out. Colonel. And they don't have a lot invested in him because he was a second round pick who was drafted to be a backup. Yeah. And, and the other on the other part of this, before I get the mic, uh, the other part of this is and the complicating factor in this way. Those draft picks are sliding down the board a little bit. You know, Miami's getting better. The Eagles are probably at best going to pick around 16 or 17. And you don't know what Indy's going to be either. So you're talking now. Everybody thought, well, maybe you're top of the board. And there's not necessarily that college quarterback that you're you're going to be enthralled with to necessarily take in the first round. You're talking Jalen Rager territory. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, say, whatever. Go ahead. Go ahead. But, Mike. you know, put that, put that. But see that to me, that's a question for after the season. Yes, over. it is. They're, but... they're trying to win games, and they are winning games, and they're winning in a way. I'll give the coach credit yeah. because he doesn't want to play this way. He wants to throw the ball like almost every other coach, especially young coaches in the NFL, want to do. That's what they do. They want to throw the ball thirty-five times with a guy like you have in San Diego, or a guy, and that's not Jalen. And but what they're doing is working, so I give them credit for that. I just think at some point, if Jalen Rager can't drop into the pocket in a game where you Jalen got Hurts, to, Jalen Hurts, where you got to win, and you're maybe you're down seven in the third quarter, and you can't just keep running the ball, can he do it? And I'm still not sold on the fact that he can. And playing from ahead is a great thing. You know, they were playing from behind the whole first half, six games, whatever it was, and they couldn't. They they ran the ball three times against the Cowboys or whatever the hell it was, but. I just say, just keep doing what they're doing. Win the games. If you make the playoffs, to me, that's a good thing. If, if God forbid, this team makes the playoffs or almost makes the playoffs, I don't care how they do it. That's a great season for a first-year head coach. And I think we've been, for somebody that got knocked so much the first six games, rightfully so. I think what they've been doing, and like Mike said, you look at the schedule, you know, maybe they can lose one or two more games, I guess, because they're the Eagles. But, man, you can just see a scenario where they're going to win a lot of these last – you know, the Jets might not have a quarterback next week. But answer me – I should have got this, but I'm sorry. I took the roundabout route. Jalen Hurts, why when they're up 33-7 or whatever the score was at the time, are they still running plays for Jalen Hurts, you know, knowing he's not going to slide? And I get it, they're trying to run their offense, but to me that's just foolhardy at some point. 
But that you said it, Mike. That's their offense right now. Okay, it it, it just is, and and they can't uh, back off the pedal a little bit just to you know. Sirianni, Sirianni said after the game that he felt like he backed off the pedal. Uh, Um, Okay, you know that he got a little conservative, and then, um, you know, I mean, look, what they're doing offensively right now is predicated really on two things. They have a tremendous offensive line, and all the credit in the world to both Jeff Stoutland. And to a great degree, Howie Roseman and whoever else. I mean, the Eagles, say what you want about the Eagles in terms of skill position players and drafting for defense. They can find offensive linemen. I mean, Jordan Mailata is really good. They well, have, not they, Dillard, but that's okay. Nah, not Dillard, but Mailata is. Mailata is a monster. Yeah, and Landon Dickerson looks like a pretty darn good pick as long as he's healthy. Yep. And yep. Kelsey and Lane are still Kelsey and Lane. And, uh, you know, Driscoll's been very good. So they have that, and they have a mobile quarterback who can force a defense to, you know, yeah. oh, we can't we can't rush. I mean, look at the time that Hurts had on some of those when yeah. he dropped back and even couldn't find a receiver or was reluctant to throw to a receiver. He had all day. Part of that is the offensive line, but part of it is this, was the Saints saying, we don't want to rush. We're not quite sure. You know, we got to contain him. So, again, like teams will eventually figure that out. And mm-hmm. – Let's see what the counter move is. I think some of the counter move to your point, Mike, is going to be they're going to dare Jalen Hurts to beat yeah. them throwing the ball. Yeah. That's just yeah. it. You know, don't worry. Run it all. We are not. We are going to take the run away from you. We're going to double team Devontae Smith. Right. Or we're going to we're going to roll coverage to him into Dallas Goddard. Go ahead. Try to beat us throwing a Quez Watkins, who I think is okay, and Jalen Rager, who nobody thinks is okay. And go ahead and try to beat us. Yeah. And Mike, isn't too. That the way they're playing, like I said, when you play from ahead, it's it's an easier game, especially the way they're trying. Don't the other defenses get gassed? I mean, New Orleans, which had a pretty good defense, right? I mean, they in the third quarter, like you said, Jalen was sitting back there for like eight seconds sometimes, with you know just waiting yeah. for some way to hopefully get open. But with their and I, that's why I don't see like, and I know what you're saying about the Giants. I get it, Jason Garrett, the quarterback, but. The Eagles are going to play from ahead, I think, a lot these last four or five games. It, it would serve their advantage if they did, right? Like because that if they can get a lead and then they can pound away at you with whether it's Miles Sanders or Boston Scott or you know, for their sake, you hope Jordan Howard gets back because I think he's the best back of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what you want to do, and that can get you in the playoffs this year, Mike. You're absolutely right. The question is whether Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman want to try to use that as a sustainable strategy for next year and the year after that and the year after that, and I'm skeptical that they do. Well, and that's, I, that's yeah, exactly where I was going to take you on this. We know how the owner views about offensive football, okay? And we've heard the stories about them yelling at Doug after the game in Green and Bay. And the coach probably too, Kevin. Okay. I'm sure the coach feels that way too. But the philosophy that they have – really rebelled against for a long time is the is their formula right now that gets them to this point and back in a race and back relevant okay does that change any mindsets you think in the executive suites i have no idea kev i've i've made this argument i made this argument in the off season and i've made it during the season which is to say the eagles regard themselves as kind of cutting edge mm-hmm. right but the idea of throwing the football a lot to get a lead or the idea that you, the way to score in the NFL is to throw the ball is not a cutting edge idea. That's no, a not. mainstream idea in the NFL. Every generally speaking, everybody believes that mm-hmm. what would be cutting edge 
pardon me, is finding where there are areas that you can exploit. And maybe running the ball is that kind of area, right? We're like, Teams are faster and smaller on defense. So if you have an offensive line like the Eagles, you can just freaking freight train an opposing defense the way they've been doing it lately. And maybe that's the, the, the whole idea of like analytics and the money ball way of thinking in sports is not to just rely on numbers necessarily. It is to see an entire system and the way everybody is thinking in that system. What's the conventional wisdom and to find a way to exploit it and use it to your advantage, mm-hmm. okay? So if everybody thinks that you need to score a lot of points to win games, you should zag when everybody else is zigging, zigging. right? Right. Um, I, I wrote this in the offseason. I thought that they should have hired a coach, and, and nothing against Nick Sirianni, who I think is improving, but they should have hired a coach who was defense-first mentality because – Everybody else hires, with the exception of Brandon Staley in in, uh, Los Angeles, everybody hires coaches who have offensive backgrounds. And if you look at the teams that made the playoffs last year, the quality of their defenses was as big a factor in them making the playoffs often as their quarterback was. Washington made the playoffs last year with the three of us basically as their quarterbacks. Yeah. How did they do that? They did it because they had a terrific defense. Their front four was awesome. And it even, so and look it, at that. And you can even take that example into your defensive philosophy in a sense of they've discounted linebackers and, and secondary and safeties, especially or corners. They, they've been good on. They've been willing to draft corners. They've not been willing to draft safeties. high. well, you know, you're in a position this offseason where you're, you know, the best players may be linebackers and safeties where you're picking. You better consider them at this point. Really? I mean, that's. Yeah. Look, the, the, every sport is changing, right? We're seeing the same thing in baseball, where everybody decides you got to find guys who hit home runs and, and strike everybody out and, and all that. Right. Yeah, and hopefully, for the sake of that sport, things are shifting and the thinking is shifting. I think the same thing happens throughout the NFL. Um, you got to find these market inefficiencies, so to speak, these areas that people are are ignoring or overlooking. That's what makes Belichick so great, is that he figures it out ahead of everybody else. Let's let's have two giant, fast, receiving tight ends and dare teams to try to cover them. And within three years, everybody in the league is doing that. Um, so, you know, let's let's see what they do. I don't know. And to answer your question, Kev, I don't know what Jeffrey and Howie are thinking looking at this. I just know what they've always thought, which hasn't changed in basically two decades. Yep. And isn't it funny how when you don't, necessarily have a great defense, which the Eagles didn't for the first six games. I mean, we were crisp. When your offense is doing what their offense is doing, all of a sudden the defense is better. Well, defense They're is not on the, the field, field as much. As much. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, but it, and look, I think when you're a defense and you're up 10 points in the second quarter, it's just easier to play football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I do think we get – it's hard to know now. I mean, I, look, I read, I read coverage of the NFL – as you know, as wide and as deep as you guys do. And I do, I think one of the things that's interesting now is the difference. If you can pick up on it between the people who cover and observe the league from a, this is, this is going to sound simplistic, but like the do what you have to do to win the game approach and the fantasy football, this will help you in the long term approach. Yeah. And Sometimes one of those approaches works better than the other, um, you know, and I think in this situation with this team and this makeup and this quarterback and this coach, the Eagles are playing the right way for this team. Yeah. The question is whether, 
you know, the other side of their brain, so to speak, is going to say, well, we can't play that way over the long term. We just can't. By the way, we yeah. should point out, Joe Judge may have added motivation. First time the Eagles and Giants have met since last year's last game, which left the Giants out of the playoffs. Yeah. And I'm sure that will get mentioned in East Rutherford. Whether that makes a difference or not is, you know, immaterial, but it's a good storyline. Um, let me get you to the Flyers for a second before I get into Ben Simmons. Why can't they score? They don't have a lot of guys who can score. They just don't. Cam Atkinson's a good scorer. Joe Faraby may yet develop into a good goal scorer. But, you know, they don't have guys who are just naturally elite gifted scorers. They Stamp don't goes. have that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, Tampa Tampa has like three or four of them. Yeah. You know, Edmonton and, has two with Dreisaitl and, 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 and David. Yeah. There are just players that can put the puck in the net and be creative offensively, and they, the Flyers don't have enough of them. Is that they, a fa- and they haven't for a long time. Is that a failure of scouting, uh, development, both, neither? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's all of it, right? I mean, they, they, they took the smart approach all those years ago to try to hoard draft picks and, you know, stop signing guys to ridiculous contracts. Um, but they've gotten a lot of... They drafted a lot of guys who so far seem to be like nickels and they haven't hit on a quarter or a dollar yet. And they need that. And they haven't gotten that guy yet. I I like Farabee. I think in time he will grow and develop. Um, But they just don't have enough of those guys right now. At at what point? Look, you know, we talked about this coming into the season. This was a big year for Elaine Vigneault. Um, You know, just for the idea that, look, in this league especially – you, you better be a playoff contender year in, year out, and they disappointed last year. Well, you know, they're, they're in next to last. Yeah, you know, they're tied with the Devils at this point. They're not close. You know, they're, it's early, but is there a danger point here coming up if this doesn't turn around quick for the head coach? I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, they, they made it clear in the offseason that they did not regard the coach as a problem, right? I mean, I was the guy banging the drum last year like, you know, they got to, you know, you, you need somebody who's handy with nitroglycerin to churn, to change this team. And they did that. They traded Voracek. They made big moves. Um, they signed some guys. They changed the, the makeup of the locker room. And here they are. So I think they, the, the likelihood is they're going to give them time to ride it out um, because they brought in a bunch of guys who had played for Vigneault, you know, who, um, you know, presumably would play well for him. Now, maybe, you know, you got to get Kevin Hayes back. Maybe that makes a difference, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I think it would be rash at this point to fire the coach. I always hesitate to just say fire the coach. No, no, no. And I'm not saying you're saying yeah. that, but I'm saying is, are we entering a point where it, it becomes a part of the conversation? If the, if, if it, it, it always if it, does. Right. It if, always if does. If it doesn't turn around by Christmas, do we, does yeah. that become yeah. a conversation? It'll be, it, it will be. It will be part of the conversation. Sure. Mike? Sure. Because that's and the other thing too is that that's what Flyers fans want and expect. Like, God forbid that you trade, you know, make some make some moves or evaluate the roster. Honestly, they always want the coach fired because they presume that, you know, that's all that's needed to make these incredible players play incredibly. This is his third year, right here. Yeah. Yes. I I can't believe we're having this conversation. Yeah. I, I, I really can't. I mean, he comes in as a guy who took two teams to Stanley Cup Finals. He had a good first year. Everybody agreed, even though, you know, the way they exited the playoffs, we nobody liked it. But it was a good – last year was COVID, so I just kind of throw that out. They stunk, but okay, whatever. Are we really at that point? Like, 
because I think at some point we got to look at ourselves. But but Mike, there's also it's a sport with a very short shelf life on every coach. I understand, Kevin. I get it. But we here in this town, I mean, there were people that basically, if Nick Sirianni hadn't turned this thing around, would want to fire him. Now, Nick Sirianni ain't Alan Elaine Vigneault. I, I I get it. But at some point, the whole world can't be. Let's fire the coach after a couple years or when when. One stri- you know, now at the, at the end of the year, you know, the Flyers don't make the playoffs and they and maybe they didn't look good and whatever. Maybe you sit and think about it. I, I don't know. But, my God, can't we just let it play out sometimes a little bit? Well, let me ask you a question, Mike. Let me give you a, a bright spot. Carter Hart looks like he's pretty He looks much, great. He looks he's great. the reason they've been as good as they've been. Um, you know, and that's that's wonderful for them. He may keep them in games. He may keep them in the playoff race. Um, if he plays like this in the playoffs and they're able, you know, they get in and he plays like this bully for them. Um, you know, I think to Mike's point, I think one of the things that's worked against curtailing that mentality that, you know, I, I, cause I see it too, right? So much of the, of the conversation in town is framed as if all you have to, all a team has to do is pull this lever or throw this switch and they will turn everything around. And yeah. it's only the recalcitrance of their ownership or their general manager or their What's coach. a recalcitrant? It, the refusal to do it. Why oh, don't you just do words? I'm a Lincoln High School guy, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm a LaSalle guy. You think we use words like recalcitrant in high school? At LaSalle, excuse me? No, but like all they have to do is do this thing. And why won't they do this thing? It's never, it's very, very rarely about that, right? It's just rarely about that. Um, so, you know, I think that's, and, and what hurt teams in that regard was the Sixers going through the process and the Flyers rebuilding and this, and the Phillies trying to rebuild and not much coming out of any of those Yeah, relatively speaking. Yeah. Let me, speaking of the Sixers, are we closer to the end or the beginning of the Ben Simmons saga? (laughs) I think we got a long way to go. I think we got a long way to go. Um, unless a superstar in one of these teams starts to express his unhappiness and makes it clear he wants to be traded. I don't see where this ends for a while. I think the Sixers are dug in. I think Simmons is dug in. Are we looking at Lindros type whole year situation? I think it's possible. I think Daryl Morey's talking a good game in that regard. I think the Sixers are governed by the philosophy that as soon as they trade Simmons, Whatever mental issues will be have been bothering him will suddenly vanish, and he will be raring to go. I think they're operating under the presumption that whatever team trades for him assumes the same thing, um, that all of this is just a Rich Paul ploy to get him out of town, which is going to happen eventually. Um, so I think we're just going to wait. And the, the fun in it, so to speak, is seeing how each side will – act and react and what, what, you know, stunts they'll pull to try to get their way and to win the, the turn the tide of public opinion. So Mike, um, other than Dame Lillard, okay. And maybe Bradley Beal, who else out there would the Sixers look at and think it was an equitable, because I'm kind of looking at this, maybe Zach Levine in Chicago, who I don't think is going anywhere, but there's only a couple of those guys. It ain't like there's 10 of them. And you're just waiting for one or two of them to get sick of their situation. It seems to me that unless Dane Lillard or Bradley Beal says, "Hey, I want to go to Sixers," you know, get me out of here. 
And I, the, the odds of that happening are very low, right? Especially, especially given the way the Wizards are playing. Yeah. You yeah. know, and what they did, and what they did to make themselves competitive around Beal, right? Yeah. Like, like they, they Set had John, Westbrook. They had, yeah, they had Bradley Beal and John Wall with a torn Achilles, and they worked around it to make themselves a competitive team. Now, maybe it doesn't last, but they're not trading Bradley Beal for anybody now just to blow that up. To me, Mike, the interesting dynamic is how right now, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised at this, and it speaks to, I think, a little bit of how the tenor of the fan base has changed. I'm very surprised that people are as positive about the Sixers as they are because I presumed that the bar for this team amongst the public would be, this is supposed to be a team that's competing for a championship. This is not a team that's supposed to be plucky and, ooh, they're playing hard and giving it a good a good run of it because they're shorthanded and they don't have Ben and Ben's a bad guy and all that. Like, they got, we, we, the, the whole point of the process was build a team that can compete for a championship. Right now, I would argue, even with Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris back, they are not that kind of team. They are lesser for not having Ben Simmons. They just are. And even if and you so, think Maxi is a good player, they're not. They're not a title contender. The trade off, like Maxi's a much better offensive player than Ben Simmons ben is. Simmons He's not nearly as good a defensive player. Not nearly as good. And they're not winning all that many games now. Again, Embiid has been out. Tobias is just coming back. Steph Curry's Steph Curry's been out. All of that. But that to me is the bigger issue. Is like what kind of team are they without without trading away Simmons? And how long do people, quote-unquote, put up with it? Mike, do you see any scenario where at some point, month from now, whatever, Simmons and, and his agents, whatever, do you say, go, go back and play for the Sixers? No. Okay, so no. That, that isn't happening. And if he did say that, would the Sixers say, hey, because Moore's making the sound and Rivers, like, hey, if Ben shows up. Yeah, that's that's what they're saying. And- that's what they're saying. They They – I don't think they anticipate that. Okay. And I'm not sure. I mean, look, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are not like Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari on Bosom Buddies. Okay. Rest in let's peace. throw out the, the you know, rest in peace, Peter, and yeah. let's throw out some some really obscure pop culture references here. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but I don't know that, you know, I don't know that the team would welcome Ben back at this point. They're saying all the right things, but I don't know that they would. And I don't think the Sixers are looking at this and saying, Oh yeah, come on back. Like the only way they would is if they felt like it would help his trade value. And you know, the longer this goes, the more likely it is that they wouldn't want to bring him back because it may be disruptive. It may, who knows what it would do. I I don't know. I I just don't see it happening. When, and and, you know, look, they're going to get smoked. We assume tonight in, in golden state, and then they're going to come home. And at a certain point here, you know, and B's going to take some time, I think, to get himself back into physical shape after COVID. You're right. Harris is in and out of the lineup. I mean, I don't know. They are a seven seed. Everything they've talked about at this point, all the all the the reason for the process was you don't want to get in that no man's land. Well, they're kind of exactly in that no man's land right now, aren't they? Yes. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And they could be back there. In two weeks, if Embiid comes back and is completely over COVID, which who knows whether he will be or is, 
and he falls and lands awkwardly and mm -hmm. hurts his ankle or hurts his knee. I mean, that that's the pro people we have undersold in this town. It seems to me in the coverage locally of how bad a situation this is for the Sixers. You can hate Ben Simmons all you want. You can think Ben Simmons is a bad guy all you want. You can admire the Sixers for saying, not on our watch. We are not going to kowtow to you after the New Orleans Pelicans kowtowed to Anthony Davis and teams have kowtowed the stars throughout, throughout the NBA over the last several years. You can admire them all you want. It doesn't make them better as a team, and it doesn't get them closer to where everybody thought they were going to be. And they lost in the second round of the playoffs last year to the Atlanta Hawks. They weren't that close anyway. Yeah. So what well, are we doing here? Lost three games at home to the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, so. and Daryl Morey knows all this. Like, Daryl Morey lived through Yao Ming and his feet. Mm -hmm. And when Yao Ming broke his foot for the second time, they knew he knew, he being Morey and Sam Hankey at the time, knew they were done. They were done. Their window had closed. Because Yao was done, he wasn't going to come back, and they had already traded Tracy McGrady, I think, or they were close to doing that, so they did it soon thereafter, maybe, I forget. But that was it, and it took them four years to get back to the point where they were close to contending, mm -hmm. you know, where they got James Harden and, and revamped everything. So, look, you know, you can, you can cheer Tyrese Maxey all you want. I love Tyrese Maxey as a kid and as a player, but what are we talking about here? Yeah. Are we talking about competing for a championship or rooting for the plucky underdog? Because I thought we all agreed that the plucky underdog doesn't get you anywhere in the NBA. Mike Silski, uh, I was going to ask you baseball stuff, but they're going to go into a lockout, so nobody really cares at this point. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mike Silski, the book coming out in January. Uh, and, uh, oh, final, I will ask a final question. Favorite Thanksgiving side? Ooh. Um... I like stuffing. I like my favorite Thanksgiving bite is stuffing, turkey, and gravy. Like that's what I want on my fork. I want, you know, moist stuffing with a good piece of dark meat, preferably, and gravy on it. Like that's my perfect forkful. And I'll have sweet potatoes and coleslaw and, you know, other stuff there. Um, but yeah, I, I, take the it, turkey together. I take it the stuffing is not like stovetop out of a box. Don't underestimate stovetop. I we agree. Don't, That's my favorite, actually. Stovetop. It's not my favorite, and we, we're not going to have it in the Sealski house because my wife would not allow such a thing. It would be sacrilegious. It would be like, you know, walk, walking to a church and shattering a stained glass window. But stovetop's pretty good. I brought my own stuffing to a family event. I brought some stovetop to a family event. It did not go over well. Did they throw it out the window, I'll bet. Uh, they did. It yeah. was not. Mike, what's your favorite type of stuffing? Uh, it's got to be moist. A couple of years ago, and I don't want to, because I don't know, you know, we go to my, my son and daughter-in-law every year. Somebody, the stuffing was real crusty. It's because I guess because they're trying to cook a million different things. And so I'm getting the stuffing this year. I'm actually going up to a place, Northeast Philly, the rib rack, who does really great ribs, but they do a really great stuffing. So I said to them, do you want me to bring the stuffing? So everybody's like, yeah, go. So I'm hoping that the stuffing goes over big um, because a bad stuffing can really can really put a damper on it. It's like bad rolls. You know, if your rolls are burned or something or if they're not, you know, whatever you're getting, the crescents or whatever the heck you're getting, 
But I, I like a lot of sides. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a cranberry jelly guy. Oh, yeah. but I agree with Mike. The, the forkful. Now I'm a white meat guy, but that's okay. The fork, I'm both. I, I don't discriminate. No, the all, fork, all love. All the love. meat is tastier. I understand that because the white meat gets drier. But that, that's just a me thing. But I would, with your forkful, I would put a little cranberry jelly in there too. There, there's a there's a recipe that my wife has, and I don't know where she found it or what possessed somebody to come up with it. But she makes a cranberry horseradish kind of um, spread, or it's almost like a cross between like a spread or a coleslaw. Oh, I'm it in. Is, it is so good. It is oh. so good. And and I it, it's like I wouldn't think to put those two things together, but it's incredible. And well, so anybody who's listening. Google cranberry horseradish and see if you can find this recipe. And even if you make it, it's not going to be as good as well, Kate Seals. I'm going to give a shout out. But my guy, Fink's Hoagies down in Taconi, they do a Thanksgiving for the whole month of November. So, you know, you get the on, on a roll, you get the turkey, you get the stuffing. They make, and the, the lady down there makes something similar, Mike. I don't think she puts horseradish in, but it's like a, a cranberry spread that goes on this turn in the gravy. It is phenomenal. Mm. And there's something about a good cranberry. And I like the thing just that, you know, ocean spray, just open the can. I'm okay. And it's not shaped like a can. I don't want it. That's true. That's true. (laughs) But the cranberry is just like the perfect accompaniment to everything else that's on the plate. It's like the one little thing over there that you you really just balances. Yeah. You just balances everything out the tartness and the sweetness. Yeah. You know, the mashed potatoes and the saltiness and the, you know, the, 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 we go on and on. on. The best part of Thanksgiving, but, but Kevin's going to eat at Ralph's tonight for his birthday. So he probably ain't going to care. The best part is the sandwiches later at night. Oh yeah. Oh God. And that was always my favorite part. I mean, I, you know, the, the dinner was great. But I knew at eight o'clock at night is yeah, and I don't think there was football games on at eight o'clock at night. But who no. knows? Whatever the hell we were watching, and you got the rye bread out, you got the turkey out, you got the stuffing out, you got the cranberry out. Now then, you put it all on something, and uh, it was yeah. you know it was like hey, I'm eating again. It's yep. great. <laughs> all right, Mike Silski, thank you for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving to you and the family. Good you luck too, with guys. the book, right. Michael. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Say hi to Mayo for me. (laughs) Will do. And we'll be back on Working the Beat right after this. Our thanks to Mike Silski for joining us as... uh I, I always enjoy talking to Mike. Mike's uh, Mike's basically part of the extended family, if you will. Uh, Mike's um, Mike's one of those guys. Reminds me a little bit of Rich Hoffman, the the my Rich Hoffman, not the younger Rich Hoffman, who's fine too. Just the way he writes, he's kind of that. You know, he won't hit you over the head a lot of times with a wow take. Sometimes he will. But he's just kind of the reasonable guy who tries to mm-hmm. keep everything in perspective. And I think we need that sometimes the way the world is now. And I'm not knocking the other columnists. I read them all. They're friends of mine or colleagues of mine. But some people, I think, just go over the top too much. And that's the world we live in. It's the ESPN world that we live in. But, you know, Mike just tries to, you know, hey, you know, and I and I appreciate that. And it was always the reason why I appreciated Rich. Yep. And I know people used to knock Rich sometimes. Well, he wasn't taking a, you know, he's always in the middle. Well, what's wrong with being in the middle? You know, sometimes the middle is a good place to be. 
because there is no necessarily right or wrong. It's not always black and white. Right. There's a lot of gray floating around the world. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so thanks to Mike for joining us on this. And we're getting Ruben next week, right? We're hoping, though. Yes. Hoping. Okay, well, one of these weeks. Yeah, we're going to get him uh, maybe two weeks because that's the Eagles' bye week. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, we'll... we'll and there'll ob- be a lockout by then, so that'll be perfect. Exactly. Or it'll be settled and we're going to be in the middle of hot stove season. You know point. it's not going to be settled, Kevin. You know that. I know. I know. You, 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 what you don't know is how long will it take to settle. I think it'll be settled by spring training. Yeah, but that's a long time. That's two yeah, months or three months. Mike, I think to most people, if it doesn't affect the start of the season, it don't happen. I agree with you, but now that would affect free agent stuff, right? And all that yeah, kind of but thing. yeah, but I, I again, I think I don't see a scenario, and I I've changed on this. I think that they both realize they cannot afford to walk away right now. Uh, they cannot lose games because of this. But we're talking about a sport that oh, gave it's not up the exactly. 90, the, the 1994 World Series, but, the only year other than 1904, that a World Series was not played. And the guy from the Giants was on pace to break uh, Maris's record that year. I mean, they walked away that year. Mike, you know? I, Mike, I agree, but it's a different economics. At that point, baseball I, was maybe 1A behind sure. the NFL. It's not 1A anymore, and it's not even 2 but, but again, Kevin, you're hoping that they can meet in the middle somewhere. You know baseball more than I do. I just Let me put it this way. There are more people connected with the game that I know who are saying um, that they believe this will be a this will be something that is settled by spring training. What, what do the players want? What What is the, their big sticking point? Well, the, the players want it a, a disincentive for teams to basically not spend money or to sell off to try to get. Yeah. They're kind of going against the analytics in this sense where analytics tells you if you're not going to make the playoffs, then try to get the best draft pick possible. That's always going to happen. There's always going to be. But they're trying. I think one of the things that they're trying to do, and look, there was some bad blood caused by the pandemic with how the 60-game season was implemented and all that. So they have to get past that. Um, But I think a major sticking point in my mind and from what I've heard is the idea, and, and Scott Boris has already talked about it, the disincentive of teams who were willing to then basically trade with the Braves and create what the Braves have done. Now, Scott's talking at both sides of his mouth because he loves having the super teams because yeah, it impacts right. his co- clients. I, I, they, want, they want to find a way for the Marlins and the Pirates and the Twins and all these teams to not always uh, the Orioles is a prime example to, to rush to the bottom. Never going to happen. It's never going to happen. I understand because somebody will figure a way out to get around the system there too. Always have six or seven teams, right? That aren't, that suck mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. And many of them are the same teams. You know, the pirates have sucked mostly except, except when they had bonds in the early nineties and Vance like they had like three years there where they were pretty, the Marlins have won two world series and it basically sucked the rest of the time. Go on down the line. Kansas City has sucked forever, except for those couple years where no, they it was won about a four or five year stretch. But yeah, I got it. I yeah, got but, you. Ba- but basically, most of these teams for if you go back thirty years, you can name the teams. Well, Nothing's Mike, changed. If, Mike, if you want to look at it, since the you know the Phillies were good for about a six year period, it's kind of the same yeah. of what I'm. I'm not going. I well, guess I yeah. am, but I'm not. I mean, yeah, it's a, and that's a fair point. 
But if you look at football, the Lions have sucked forever. Uh, I could probably go down and name some other teams if I thought about it for a second that have basically most of the time stink. Um, I do. You know, I do agree that there has to be. There has to be a way where the commissioner's office has to step in and say, you know, the Baltimore Orioles have like a $45 million payroll. Well, come on, let's go. No, I agree with you. There should be a, 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 a floor. floor, whatever. There should be a floor. I, I have no problem with this notion that these teams aren't going to trade players at the trade deadline to contenders because of the good of baseball. Well, because they're going to hold on. They're going to hold on to Rosario and lose him in three months because he's then going to become a free agent? I don't think so, Kevin. This is the this is the game that the Scott Boris of the world have set up. You become a free agent, you make lots and lots and lots of money. If you're the, if you're a bad team with a good player, well, you have two and, choices. And this fly and look, I think they also want to get rid of maybe a couple arbitration years. They would like that free agency go yeah. for a guy at maybe after four years as opposed to yeah, six. I mean, but all all that's negotiable. Sure. But you're not also look. You you may try to legislate the mindset out, but you're not going to get the mindset out. The mindset's going to be what happens when the when the team like unless you're team. unless you're willing to basically. The only way you're going to do it is if you basically put a draft lottery in. Yeah, yeah but and that'll stop it to a degree, but it won't necessarily stop it. It's you know because like I said in baseball, the number five pick could be better than the number one pick. There's there's usually no consensus. On who the Reggie Jackson's coming out this year? No, well, okay, but the other thing is when these teams keep a guy in the minor leagues to save it a year of towards his well, arbitration, and that's and, that, that, and that's and that's the other issue. I find that appalling. The, the, the Chris the, the Chris Bryan issue, yes, yeah. I mean that's but but the, but there again, the team is mm-hmm. looking out for its best interest, sure, and maybe sure. that's why Chris Bryan at some point after four or five says, "Hey, I'm not going to stay here." I don't know, but I mean this guy. On what, what team was it? The Rays just got, he's 20 years old and just got like a 12 year, $190 million oh, wa- contract. Yeah, Wander Franco. So I don't want to hear the teams are, they, they, you know, Scott Boris can bitch and moan all he wants. You know, if you're the agent of that kid, you're set for life. You never have to do another damn thing. So I, this notion, it, look, nobody likes the teams. I get it. Nobody, because they, because the owners are rich, but and now the players are rich. Some of them, not all of them. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to feel sorry for when Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's like the 25th highest played player in baseball now. You know, I, mean, I, w- I will say for all the economic stuff, that's not what they should be worried about right now. There's enough money in the game that the game is going to be fine. You, I, I don't think they should make it an economic fight going forward. Okay, they will because it is. All right, well, they need to correct the other aspects of the game. And I'm talking the rules, um, and, and bring the fan interest back. And I'm not saying like shorten the game to seven innings or whatever, some of that stupid crap. I'm saying pitch clock. I'm saying shift. I'm saying, you know, trying to find a way to put more action in the game than there is right now. Because there's not. It ain't gonna make a difference, Kevin. You can you can put you can do whatever you want. If you're not getting fan, baseball is a dying sport. Because it's a slow sport by nature that we appreciate. And that's why playoff baseball is great because, you know, you're sitting there, every pitch means something. But in the middle of May, every pitch ain't meaning something. It just ain't. They put in rules like about these relief pitchers. They got to pitch to three guys now. Does it change anybody's opinion? 
on the length of a game. No, it, it's, I, I mean, it, it's fine. You, you could, I, for me personally, I don't see what's wrong with the shift. If you want to play nine to eight guys on one side of the thing, then it's up to the hitter to hit the ball to the other side of the field. This is a, so, well, now there's a shift on and, and I'm still going to try to pull the ball and hit a ground ball to second baseman. No, I don't want to hear that. I think what was a bigger issue is like what these minor league players are going through. That to me is appalling that yeah. minor league guys don't I, have enough to live on. Yeah, and I, I think that's being addressed at this point. The MLB yeah. is trying to solidify it by creating housing plans and all that. So, yeah. how about you have a rule where the batter can't step out of the batter's box? How oh, about that's, that? that's the pitch clock. No. No, I'm talking about you're the batter. You step Mike, into the batter's Mike, box. Mike, they're going to make it where guys are going to have to keep their feet in the bat, uh, a foot in the batter's box, and, uh, unless you're injured or something. And a pitcher is going to have to throw in twenty in twenty seconds. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll tell um, you one thing. I'll be honest. I think one thing you're also going to look at is I think you're going to maybe see, and I don't know if this is going to be this year or next year or whatever. I think you're going to see basically rosters where. Teams are going to say, okay, on a, on a given night, this is our starting pitcher, and this is our, these are our five available relief pitchers, five or six. And that's it. That's it. So what, what does – yeah, I can't – Because I, I think th- as opposed to maybe mandating the three-hitter limit, I think it would create a way where – you're, you're going to have it where maybe you ha- you're not getting as many pitching changes because guys are going to try to preserve other guys and all that. That's all. The beauty of baseball, Kevin, mm-hmm. what makes baseball baseball is the strategy. Well, that's part of the strategy, of the Mike. Why- no, no. Strategy is I can- I have a 25-man roster. If I want to throw 10 pitchers at you, I should be able to throw 10 pitchers. If I want to put three infielders on one side of the of the thing, I should be able to do that. What you shouldn't be able to do in baseball is step out after every pitch and fix your two batting gloves. When did that ever become a thing? Every hitter in going Major back to League Le- baseball, going back to Lenny Dykstra, but yeah, go every pitch, every batter in Major League Baseball, I would wager, steps out of the box after every pitch and readjusts both, not one, both batting gloves. Are you serious? That's just become a thing. It's become a thing. It has nothing to do with baseball. As the thing, what my batting glove got loose between the, that pitch and my no, it's a, I'm not going to tell Tony Larusa he can't do what he wants with his bullpen. Why? Why? That's baseball. That that's part of the strategy. You know, do I bunt? Do I move a runner? Do I steal? Do you know whatever? Like I said, if you want to throw a shift on, then the hitter's got to learn to hit where the where the fielders aren't. It ain't that hard. But everybody wants to hit home runs. Yeah. And they turn into ground balls to the second baseman. And everybody gets upset at baseball. That ain't baseball's fault. No. That's the batter's fault. No, I hear you. You know? So I, that's me. But I'm 63 years old. And, I'm, and I don't think as long as you're going to start games at 8 o'clock in the World Series games, whatever playoff game, that you, you have to try to find a way to ge- generate young fans. I don't think they're going to do it because baseball is a dying sport. Yep. When you compare it to football and basketball, it just is. Let me. That's, uh, that's now, this generation. You know, it's it is what it is. Let me shift gears. Uh, one sport that's not dying. In fact, it'll have its biggest weekend of the year this weekend. Will be college football. Uh, yeah, how about that? It is. Is Temple, is Temple playing this weekend? Yeah, they got Navy. 
Yeah, that'll be. There'll be about four thousand. Well, Navy might actually bring some people. Yeah, but Navy's um, struggling this year too. I know, but the Army Navy game ain't here, right? No, it's up in uh, the Meadowlands. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, God, the Navy coach, like they, they were so good for so long, and now they stink. And Army got good, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. And like, I don't want to throw anything because I, I can't. I think there's a good chance the Temple coach ain't coming back, but. Well, yeah, I mean, when, when, you know, obviously their starting quarterback is gone. Well, the guy who started the year. And 35 transfers. transfers. Yeah. yeah, that, and, they're, and they're not just losing games. I mean, they're losing games by like 30, 40 points, you know, but again. And, and you know, where that program goes from here is, is a question beyond belief. Do they call Al Golden and try to get him back? I don't know. Um, well, I don't know if Al would come. I mean, Al's in what Cincinnati I mean, now as a uh, with the with yeah. the Bengals. I mean, that's an, you know I hadn't heard that, Kevin. I mean, that's an interesting thought because I don't know what their thought process is. Or, I mean, but their it, league is going to change at some point. Yeah, and I don't know when, but Cincinnati's two leaving. years Houston's leaving. Two years, okay. UCF is leaving, so there is room for them to move up. But again, we've had this discussion before. That league does nothing for them for any of their other sports. And it shows with basketball because the, the whole rest of the Big Five ain't very good. Uh, I mean, Penn might be okay in the Ivy League, but, you know, basically LaSalle, St. Joe, and Temple don't look like they're a whole lot right now. Um, and that's getting old. But I don't know. I, I have no idea. I mean, it seems like Matt Rule was 150 years ago. And Hell, you know, hell Jeff Collins had, even feels a, a long, long time ago. Yeah, he does. But Matt, but Matt, you know, Matt, but Matt, Matt was the was, gold standard. I get it. And well, out. what he did was special. Uh, the the but, one, the one thing I would say also for, and I've heard Golden's name brought up a couple of times. But the, the one thing with Golden, I should warn is, is Randy Edsel that you, it doesn't always happen the second time around. Edsel yeah, was but Randy left on bad terms the first time. Uh, I look, I look, I don't know what Al because Al came in and had to build a program basically from scratch. I, I guess you could make the same thing that they're kind of there now. Um, it's just, I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I, I really don't, Kevin. I don't, I don't have an answer. I don't, it's just like you say, well, how can Temple basketball get better? I don't know. You know, have faith in Aaron that he can recruit and coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I just, they're in such a, a bad place right now. And it seemed like it happened so fast, but I never thought that this was the right hire. But what Temple has to understand is, if you get a guy that can actually do a good job and get this thing back, he's going to leave. That's what happens. Now, maybe Al Golden wouldn't be that. You know, if Al came and, and they were, you know, winning eight or nine games two or three years from now. But I'll go back to this. Al Golden did a tremendous job in what he did. Yeah. He never beat a team in the MAC that finished with a, over a 500 record. Uh, so I didn't think he was the greatest on-the-field coach. What he was great at was building that foundation that needed to be built, and then Matt or Matt Rule kind of you know took it and kind of ran with it mm-hmm. after the two years with Adazio. But uh, I can think of a lot worse things than Al Golden coming here. I could. I mean, I, I had not heard that name before, Kevin. I, to be honest with you, um, yeah, well, that's interesting. Let me uh, let me shift to um, well before we get into the weekend. Um, <laughs> James Franklin gets a 10-year contract extension at Happy Valley. Yeah, they didn't consult with you. 
Well, let's also let's also be honest. That paper is uh, that that is only worth the paper it's written on at this point. If in yeah. three years there's a separation or if one side wants to go another way, they'll find a way to get out of it. Yeah, but it would probably be Franklin going another way um, because yeah, yeah because the buyout, into the contract. Yeah, I understand, but but the school is making a commitment, and what they're trying to tell everybody, I think, is we we don't want our coach's name coming up. You know, with the, look, there's three great job openings out there this year, right? LSU, Florida, and USC. And I'll be honest, when I saw Florida pop up since James has a home in Florida, I thought Florida was then the front runner for James. Who has a home in Florida? Franklin. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't. Um, me personally, and I think if Urban Meyer was not coaching the Jags right now, oh, he'll be I back think in he Florida. would make no, I don't know about going back to Florida, I, but USC maybe. Because the one thing you know about um, Urban Meyer, he's going to win. He's going to win fast. He's going to win. Yep. I don't care where he goes. And now, not the NFL. I'm talking about college football. Where, where, it's, a, going, where it's a non-level playing field. Yes, absolutely. He's won everywhere he went. He yep. won at Bowling Green. He won at um, Utah. Utah. He, Florida and Ohio State, and he won big. Yep. Didn't win little. He won big. But okay, he's not. He's not. I don't think he's leaving Jacksonville. I personally think the USC job is the best job because you. It's easier to win in the Pac-12 than it is now. I know at you LSU, you're going to get players. That state has as many players as anybody. Southern California's got players. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida, yeah, and you're in the SEC if you're at LSU or Florida. You got to still contend with Saban. You got to contend with Texas A&M. You got to contend with Georgia. Uh, USC's got to beat, figure out a way to beat Oregon, basically. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but there's three, I mean, that's three really high profile jobs. I agree with you. They're going to go to somebody. I agree with you. Remember, Dan Mullen was given a contract extension nine months ago. I mean, I know. So the SEC yeah. is a meat grinder, and going to those two programs are, yeah. it's like ratcheted up another way. It's funny. You know, everybody yells about Jimbo Fisher, that Jimbo turns every rumored opening into a way to bump He's up the salary. He's done a good job. No, no, but job. but everybody laughs about the fact that Jimbo, every time a job opens, his name is linked, and he gets a contract extension. I don't blame Jimbo Fisher for, for playing that card as much as possible. No, uh, and he's got, he's got, supposedly, he's got, I think, the best recruiting class in the country. Sure. Why would I he mean, walk away from it? No, but, I mean, look at it, – it's funny sometimes with college football, Kevin. I mean, Ogeron. Look at Ogeron. Won the national title. Won the best teams ever in college football history. Two, two years, years later, ago. he's gone. Yeah. He's gone. Look what Texas did. They took Herman from Houston. And he. I think Herman was like – I might get these numbers a little bit wrong. He was like 40 and 22. Yeah. While he, so they make a change. They bring Sarkeesian in, and it's a dumpster fire. Yeah. I mean, and what has Sarkeesian ever done as a head coach? I know what he did as as a you know an OC at Alabama, so you know you got to be really careful because if you're one of these big time programs and you make the wrong hire, you're, you're oh screwed. my goodness! And I and I think like I said, I think USC is a perfect spot. I've heard Lane Kiffin's name come up. He's done a good job at Mississippi. Lane Kiffin's a wacko. We all know, but he can coach. You know he can. You know you're taking some bat. You're taking whatever. Could you see Lane Kiffin though at Florida? Well, his name's been mentioned. I, I I don't know. I mean, do you have a better chance of winning at Florida than an Ole Miss? I, I 
I, I yeah, don't, I probably. And look at the state of Florida right now. I mean, you have now the guy at Florida State actually the second half of the year they played better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Miami is you Mike, know Mike kind of there. Yeah, the state of Florida is stinks right now. Yeah, Manny, Manny three, Diaz is probably going to get fired. Well, he may or he may not. They played better the second half of the year. I don't know. But I don't know a, what those. It, people but it's were a thinking. new. It's also a new AD. It's a new president. It's, there's three programs that were national, have won national titles. Have been. Yeah. I know it's been a while. I know Miami hasn't been really good in about 15 years. Florida since Urban Meyer left for the most part, or they did play. They almost beat Alabama in the SEC title game last year. Last year. LSU just won the national title you know, two years ago. SC hasn't been good in a while. Since Pete left. Uh, and that's a while. I mean, yeah. that's that's 10 years. It's 11, 12 years ago, yeah. Yeah. So I just think if USC, to me, is the most enticing. And I know it isn't the best job because, I guess, of what you can get at LSU. or what you. Get. But, man, if you go to USC, I think you could win right away in a league that's not nearly as good, and it's L.A. I really thought Franklin would look at that. I really did. I did, but, too. Yeah. And, but, uh, you know, um, it'll be interesting to see what direction these three big-time programs, and I'm assuming they're the only – I mean, I don't think Harbaugh is going to get fired. I, I There's no other big-time program where I see a guy – you know, Luke Fickle's well, name. I've heard Luke Fickle's name. Yeah, and there's a tie with the USC athletic director, but if oh, you're really? Luke, yeah, yeah, the USC athletic director hired him at Cincinnati. Okay. But Luke Fickle's never coached outside the state of Ohio. Okay. L- Luke Fickle's program is going into the Big Twelve. Um Right, that's true. Yeah, you're right. I mean, so there's so Cincinnati's become more and more appealing. Yes, uh, I agree to stay you. than it was at the beginning actually see, when Clay Heldon was like, fired. I know a lot of these coaches, the big deal is what your facilities are like, mm-hmm. what you're paying your assistant coaches, yep. stuff like that. I and and I'll give and I'll give Franklin credit. I'll give Franklin credit that he did this extension to not just improve his facilities, but to improve his assistant coaches. I agree. With you. And I don't know what SC – I've heard different kinds of stories, like, you know, that SC does pay. Who knows? I don't know what their thinking is out there. I know LSU is going to pay people. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Florida's Florida going to pay. pay. Let me ask you a question. What about because this is a name that a Notre Dame guy called me because he he, you know, would Brian Kelly be of interest to any of these programs? And would he because he, he's been at Notre Dame longer than anybody. And he, he just signed. He Dame, just signed a new extension. Yeah, but like you said, that you know those things can be. But do you think Brian Kelly's going to be like at Notre Dame 15, 20 years? He's already been there like 12 years, right? I would say right now, this year, he's not going to be involved. And, and, the, re- and, and, okay. and the reason why is their cycle is pretty good right now. Okay. Do you think that's too long for a guy to be? Because I've heard other Notre Dame coaches, like when Parsegian left, Lou left. About how they, they compared it to the dog years, yes. I mean, where it was like 10, our coach, right, I think right, 10 right. years, and it was like seven. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Hey, let's say for the sake of argument, Kevin, Let's say Kelly, let's say Notre Dame makes the playoffs. Let's say there's a couple upsets, you know, Wisconsin wins the big, whatever, and Notre Dame gets in. By the way, I'm totally against that, but go ahead. Order to 15. Right. You know, they almost make it. The guys, I'm telling you, I mean, two BCS title games, or no, one BCS title game, two playoffs, and a near, I mean, I know people don't like, and I get why they don't like him. He's not a likable guy. Mike, well, man, I, I know this is a ridiculous. I know this is a ridiculous argument, but I said this on Twitter, and I actually will, will stand by it. I would prefer they finish fifth than fourth, and 
the rationale for this is simple. If you finish fourth, okay, one, you're going to have people who say you shouldn't belong there, okay, because especially I don't care what people. I don't care. What uh, no, people I say. I understand, okay, that you didn't belong because you lost the only team in the top twenty five. Basically, you played, okay. Um, even though their strength of schedule is not bad, uh, and, and also I think they've gotten good momentum. I really do think they've got good momentum and a lot of younger kids and their offensive line came together really well this year. And so if you go 11 and one, they're going to beat, they should beat Stanford pretty easily this week. If they go, let's say to the peach bowl and they beat up on Pittsburgh. Okay. Going to finish 12 and one. You're probably going to be a top five team coming into the season next year. You have real momentum. Contrast that to if you go to the playoff and you get your brains kicked in again, by Georgia, does that hurt? You're dead wrong, Kevin. You're dead wrong. It, it, Kevin, that is such a negative way to look at something. I can't. It's, it's like saying, do I want the Eagles to be in the playoffs? Well, no. I'd rather have them pick 12th in the draft than pick 18th in the draft. But no, I want them to be in the playoffs. If you are a college football team and you're playing football at that level and you can make the playoffs and have the chance to lose to Georgia – then that's what I want. And I'm sorry. Don't equate going to the Peach Bowl and beating Pitt as b- making me better next year at the start of next year. Ah, that, that's that's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's Tell all the Penn State fans that just want to get to a playoff, who haven't been to a playoff, who just want to get there and take their chances. No. That 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 is so that, – that you can't, as a Notre Dame fan, can't think that way. I'm sorry. You can't. You go to the playoffs, and whatever happens, happens. If you lose to Georgia by three touchdowns, you lose to Georgia by three touchdowns. That just means you're not as good as Georgia. So, you know, I, I don't buy that at all. I, I, I find that there's no way that I'm going to sell my kids. Now, if you don't make it, if you go 11-1 and one and you just happen to finish fifth because Ohio State's there and you lost to Cincinnati, that's okay. And you sell your kids, we had a great season. We're going to go to Peach Bowl and play our asses off. But no, if, if you're sitting there on on that day when the bids come out, and you and you could and I, this depends on several things. You you probably need Wisconsin to win the Big Ten because that'll knock the Big Ten out. Okay, which opens up side. You probably need Georgia to beat Alabama, and then there's still going to be a question. Yeah, of two loss Alabama. I, I I don't buy that. If Notre Dame's eleven and one. And Alabama's eleven and two. I, 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 you could argue fifty different ways from Sunday, but to me, pl- what you do on the field and your record still has to count somewhere. Uh, you could have a one-loss Big Twelve champion that could enter the equation. If it's Oklahoma State, uh, maybe not as much Oklahoma. But I'm just saying, no, I, I want to be in the playoffs. That's when, when I start on September the first. My goal, and my team is, hey guys, just let's finish fifth. So we don't get beat real bad and we'll go. No, Kevin, I find that really shocking coming from you. I really do. I, I just am. I'm realistic, Mike. It's not. It has nothing to do with realism. Okay. That has, that's fatalism. That That's saying I can never play a good team again in my life. I can't play Georgia. I can't play Alabama. I can't play Clemson when they're really good. Why am I playing? To go to the Peach Bowl to beat Pitt. No. Your day. I'm sorry, Kevin. You're, okay, you're dead, right? I, that's just my own opinion. I, I, you know, do I think 
Look, let's I think let's go to Peach Bowl every guys. Let's go to Peach Bowl every year. No, no, Mike, Mike, Mike. Now you're wrong on this. Huh? One. Okay, this is where my belief is on this. My belief on this is, as a Notre Dame fan, I'm taking an honest survey of what the landscape is. And if you play Georgia, you're not going to beat Georgia this year. So you just are. We go to the playoffs. I'm not we saying they should think that. Kevin, I'm, I'm saying Kevin, I think this. Kevin, we only want to go to playoffs if we think we can win. That's what you're saying. That's convoluted logic. That's like the Phillies saying, we don't want to beat the Braves that last week because if we go to the playoffs, we can't win. We know we can't win because we're not good enough. The Eagles saying, nah, I don't want to go to playoffs this year because I know I'm going to have to go play at the Packers or at the Rams or at the Cardinals. No, 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 no. At the Washington football team that made the playoffs last year. You think they sat there and said, yeah, I really wish the Eagles would have beat, let, be, uh, beat us so the Giants could have gone instead of us. No, 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 no. You strive to be the best you can be. And if at the end you get your the crap kicked out of you because you're not as good as these three or four teams over here, that's life. That is life. But to sit there and say, I don't want that As dance, a fan. As a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I want... If, if my kid played for that, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, I don't care about going to the Peach Bowl. If the alternative was, I could have went and played Georgia. I'll take my chances. I know that Georgia's going to have a 95% chance to beat me. That's life. Yeah. It's the way it is. That's totally, no. I, I, you know, it, it's, it, it, no, I'm sorry. I can't buy that. I, I can't. You strive to be the best you can be. And there are teams that would kill to be in the playoffs and get crushed by Georgia. One of them, one of them, one of them could be Michigan. And the biggest game this weekend, at least on paper, well, there's Michigan will make the big whoever wins Michigan Ohio State will be in the playoffs unless they lose to Wisconsin. How much pressure is on Jim Harbaugh at this point? He's zero and five against Ohio State, and he's an eight and a half point underdog. So. It's kind of a damn, no, yeah, it's kind of a... Nobody expects him to win, uh, I, and he's not getting fired. He's not on the No, he's team. not going to get fired, but, I mean, are we... Yeah, well, sure, he wants to beat him. I mean, it's are not we, a rivalry. But, but It's like Villanova-Delaware. Villanova's won 14 of the last 16 games. Ohio State's won, I think, 13 of 14. Since John that Cooper left, happen. yep. That can't happen because John Cooper got fired because he couldn't beat Michigan. Um... It, look, it, it defies logic. Ohio State is probably a better team than Michigan. This might be the best team. Well, a couple of years ago, Harbaugh brought a really good team, and, they got, and Ohio State scored 60, if I remember correctly, like three years ago. Uh, if Michigan loses at home and it's ugly, like if it's a three-touchdown game, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> I mean, no. and, and I'm a, look, I'm a Harbaugh guy. I think he did a great job at Stanford. He had a great quarterback, but he that program then he went to the 49ers, and everybody forgets this. He went he to the Super Bowl. He won a freaking Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick as this runny, you know, as the Lamar Jackson of his day, and they came within a field goal of winning the Super Bowl. And, you know, then since then, nothing's kind of worked for him. And uh, yeah, I, I, he, I'll put it this way. If I was Jim Harbaugh, I'm not saying he has to win this game, even though he's home. Let it be a football game. 
Like, let's be in the fourth quarter with the game in the balance. Because I'm telling you, if Ohio State drills them, that's just a, a bad look. You know, um, and I don't know. Ohio State's looked great the last. They have. Whatever. They may, you know, I think they reveal Michigan State for what Michigan State was, which is good, but not ready for it. Yet. Well, look, Michigan State shouldn't have won the Michigan game. No. Let's face it. They, But they did. Right. So credit to them. Yeah, they won the game. Hey, the other come back. The other big, you know. ga- the other big game this weekend. Well, is let over. me ask. You, no, Hold before on. Before we go to the other big game, do you think Wisconsin, which has played a lot better the last month, has any chance in the Big Ten final against Ohio State? No. Against Michigan, I think they would. Okay. Uh, remember, they did play earlier in the year. And who, they played who? Michigan, played, uh, Michigan, Michigan and Wisconsin oh, played earlier in the year. Michigan killed them. Michigan they, killed them. Right. But also, you know, if Michigan does beat Ohio State, I think I wonder how much gas there'll be left in the tank. And yeah, you would have well, the revenge I, factor coming back for Wisconsin. Sure. Um, yeah. I could, I could but definitely. That's what, that, that's what Notre Dame needs. Yeah. That's because that would screw the whole thing. Because that would knock the Big Ten out. Right now, the Big Ten. Is I don't know if out. the Big Ten will get knocked out. Oh yes, they would. A two-loss Big Ten team is not getting in. All right. right. Does now, a two-loss? Does a two-loss? Does a two-loss Bama has a shot? Because how about a two-loss? How about a two-loss Big Twelve team? No, 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 no. Not if unbeaten Cincinnati and one loss Notre Dame are sitting there. No. No, they're not getting it. Two loss Alabama is a different animal, especially if the loss is by like yeah. If the two losses are the two losses are at Texas A and M and Georgia and Georgia, yeah, I agree. You got a shot, but the Ohio State, uh, you're going to say they lost to Oregon at home, right? Which Oregon could be the Pac-12 and camp, Ohio State, through, right? Uh, All right, and Michigan team, on the road. Yeah, I think a two loss Big Twelve team, no, 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 no. One loss Big Twelve team, yes. I think in Oklahoma State with one loss, maybe in Oklahoma with one loss because they would have then beaten Oklahoma State and beaten somebody in beaten the Big Baylor, 12 title. Baylor. Probably Baylor, which would, would avenge, avenge their loss. Yeah. Right. And, and look, we've all seen this in college football, Kevin. So many things can happen these next two weeks. You know? Well, but and, the really you know, the, two-loss team, the two-loss team's never gotten in the playoffs. No. A two-loss team in 2007 – Got to the BCS final when all hell broke loose. LSU got there and won. I think that would be, the, you know, and, and then all the people now to tell you they want a 12 team playoff to say, see, this is why we want it. But if it was a 12 team playoff, you'd be sitting there, you know, Penn State would probably still be arguing that they have a, a chance to get to the playoffs or something. I don't know. I, I think eight's a good number. I could live with eight. I kind of like 12, though. I think it does reward being in Just the top go to four. 16. Just go to sixteen. Well, no, because, no, because I, I actually think twelve. It gives those teams gives, a buy. The top four teams a buy. I actually fine. agree with that's that. Fine. That's fine, and they'll be playing. You'll be start. You'll be playing games. The playoff would start the week after the big. But the, you the have to give some incentive. You have to give some incentive for the regular season to mean something. I, I, well, they've already. They're already. What you could do is give them home games. You know, you could do because well, that's all, what I think is going to happen. You're going to have trouble taking. A round of let's say they went to sixteen teams for sake of argument, and you're going to have trouble taking those first round games to neutral sites. You well, start, Mike. Mike, I think that is the plan. The plan would be the first round, 
the first round, either even in a 12 or an uh, 16 team format, would be on home sites. Well, so you're telling me if they go to 12, the top four teams get buys and host, and then, and then host and four teams get home sites. Yes. Okay. And then the four teams that have buys in an eight, when it gets to the round of eight, the, the four teams with buys would then host games and then go into a playoff kind of format there. Okay. 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 That, that, that makes more sense. Okay. What's the other big game this week? Um, well, Oklahoma, a- Oklahoma, Oklahoma state. Yeah. Bad little miss. Uh, Bad little miss. Although both those teams need help. Like Michigan and Ohio State. Don't yeah, I'll tell you what though. If Oklahoma State wins this week and then beats Baylor next week, I, I think Oklahoma State's going to find their way in. That may be true, but what I'm saying to you is, the winner of Ohio State Michigan does not need help. No, no, no. They're they're, they're, they're on a in. path. They're on a the path. The winner of the winner of Oklahoma State Oklahoma, provided provided they beat Wisconsin next week, they are oh, going no, well, to be. That, in. Well, that's but right. that they don't need help though. No, they don't. Need they don't help. need somebody to win. What I'm saying is. I think at some point, the fact that they moved Cincinnati to fourth this week is kind of telling me, and Cincinnati does play a pretty good Houston team in the in the uh, American final. You know, they're ranked. I mean, I'm not it, saying they're... It ranked. would not surprise me if Houston beat Cincinnati. That's fine. But if they don't, then, I'm just telling you, again, that's help. You're asking for help. Right. What I'm saying is the two teams in the Big Ten don't need help. Uh, I don't know if the SEC team, Georgia obviously doesn't need help because even if they lose, they're probably going to be in. Uh, Alabama, uh, I don't know if they need help. Notre Dame needs help. Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, I think at this point, still need help. help. Yeah, they might not. When when all the 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 you know the cookies crumble, they might not. But and I think I don't think Oklahoma is very good. I, I really think we've been saying that most of the second half of the year. I don't think they're very good. I, I, I kind of like Oklahoma State in that game. I don't even know if it's if who's home in that game. Uh, Baylor's pretty good, too, but I just they've got two losses. that they're, That's not going to – but I, I think Oklahoma if, – if I was the Big 12, I'd be rooting for Oklahoma State to be the team that emerges. That would be me. Yeah, because the one thing with Oklahoma is the fact that Oklahoma, even when they won, I mean, yeah, they, they barely they scored. Weren't, they weren't looking good. They weren't enough. really looking that good. But if Oklahoma were to beat Oklahoma State and then avenge its loss to Baylor, yeah, I don't know how that would play with the committee because I don't know what the hell the committee thinks. I don't know who's on the committee. I don't know, you know, what they think. I, I think at this point in time, the only thing you and I know, and you said this last week, George is in. Yeah. I mean, unless Georgia loses forty to seven to mm-hmm. Alabama, and I don't see that happening, but I still think Georgia might get in. <laughs> I still think if Georgia got beat by two touchdowns to Alabama, I still think they're getting in based on their season. Yeah, yeah, I agree because their defense has been so dominant. They, yeah, I mean they've been the best team most see, of the year. I, I think Bama is going to be the one that's left out because I don't think Bama competes with Georgia. I really don't. I mean. And, well, but, and that, if, but you're saying that based on, yes, if Bama loses by two touchdowns to Georgia, I agree with you. But if it's a three-point game, oh yeah, then I think people are going to be sitting there trying to, what do we do with Alabama? And they are Alabama. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you, know, you might not think that counts, right? but it counts, and I, it should count. I will, I will say this before we say goodbye. Um, you and I talked a lot in past years. I want to get back to the Notre Dame thing. 
you and I have talked a lot about Notre Dame in a conference, and Notre Dame will not join a conference unless it feels like it has no shot of getting into a playoff. Now, with the playoff expanding, that kind of takes that out of it. Okay. Yes. Um, but you know, this is the type of year that if, to be honest, if you're Notre Dame and you have to look and think, all right, if we were in the ACC, we probably have a good shot of getting in. And but that, you can't, but Kevin, but, but we're saying that, but you could be in a conference and not maybe be the 11 and one team they're going to be. See, that's the problem. It's easy to sit there and say, yeah, this year, let's say, but that data point, that, that extra data point does, does help. It, it put, it, it's, it, Yes, but what I'm saying is they might not be 11 and one if they were in a conference. You make it sound like if we join a conference, and it is the ACC, let's say for say, well maybe they would have played Wake Forest this year. Maybe they wouldn't have beat Wake Forest. May or they might have. There's a million right, different but, scenarios. But, but there's also a way they may not have played Cincinnati in that circumstance. That's fine. Too. But if you go 11 and one and Oklahoma State goes 12 and one, yes. Well, or 11, I guess, no, they'd be 12 and 1. Right. Would Oklahoma State Big 12 championship maybe be the tipping point? Absolutely. That's the chance Notre Dame takes all the time by being Notre Dame. But also by being Notre Dame, you have a certain cachet yeah. that you're Notre Dame. And even if it doesn't get you into the playoff, you're going to be the first team they pick in a bowl game. Every bowl game wants Notre Dame. The Rose Bowl wants Notre Dame. This bowl wants Notre Dame. You know, I don't know which bowls have the title games this year. I, I'm, I don't know that. But, yes, that, that is the risk you take if you're Notre Dame. But if you're Notre Dame and you're the one school in the country can, can do what you're doing and you've made the playoff twice, you might make it again this year, what is the impetus for you to go out when you can keep all your money? You just keep it. It's yours. Yeah, and uh, and we should point out their their contract with NBC is coming up uh, in the next. Uh, I want I want to say in the next month. But like you said, Kevin, if they expand the playoffs in three or four years or whenever the, the contract's up, Notre Dame has less impetus to join a conference because if they go to eight or twelve or sixteen, and twelve seems to be the number they're talking about, you're Notre Dame. You go ten and two, most years you're going to get in that playoff. I would think. You would think. Uh, so why are you joining the conference and giving up what you have when you're playing in the ACC for all your other sports anyway? If the ACC is willing to do that, you know it's sort of like when Temple. God, I can't believe I'm making this comparison, but when Temple played MAC football, and yet all their other teams were in the Atlantic Ten. And they were kind of getting the best of both worlds, even though the Mac, they weren't, it, you know, it was better than being an independent. And then the Mac woke up one day and said, wait a minute. Yeah, well, okay, join for everything. Uh, so if the AC, it, to me, this is an ACC decision more than a, a Notre Dame decision. At some point, if the ACC is comfortable letting Notre Dame do what Notre Dame is doing, why would Notre Dame want full membership? They've got full membership. Yeah. Basically, without having to share their money. So if NBC is willing to pay them all that money, well, and that, and that's a question. Maybe NBC is not ready to pay it anymore. But so. then maybe ABC is, or maybe Fox is, or maybe. By by, know, by the way, we should point out. Okay, it's Orange and Cotton Bowl are the two playoff games this year. They're the two semifinals. They are the two semifinals. And who's got the final? Uh, I believe it's Indianapolis. 
It's not a bowl game? No. No, they, they take it to a site, Mike, anymore. Oh, that's right, 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 right. Okay, so it's the orange and the cotton. Okay. Okay. So the other... That means the Rose Bowl will be a Pac-12 team. And a Big tw- 10 team. Does it have to... What, yes. What I'm saying is... Yes. The two at-large games this year is Peach and Fiesta. But I always thought the way it worked was, and maybe I'm wrong, I, I could be wrong, that, okay... Okay, okay, so you're saying it'll be uh, whoever wins the Pac-12 and somebody not named Ohio whoever's State. The run- right. right, whoever's the runner-up. It, it, it'll be either Ohio State, Michigan. I would assume Michigan. If Ohio State wins this weekend, Michigan will go to, to the Rose Bowl. Okay, but it could be Wisconsin in theory, right? In theory. Okay, so... If Wisconsin and- wins, if Wisconsin beats... If Wisconsin beats Ohio State somehow... Ohio State would go to Rose Bowl. Ohio State would go. Well, no. Yeah, I think Ohio. No, State, because oh, Wisconsin, no, Wisconsin would be guaranteed. Wisconsin would go to Rose Bowl. You're right. You're right. Right. Okay. Be the champion. And the right. Sugar will be the Big Twelve in the SEC. So, could you imagine this? Let's let, let's let's say that Wisconsin does the impossible mm-hmm. or the near impossible and pulls it off. So now you're the Fiesta Bowl, and what was the other one? The Peach Bowl. Yeah. So now you get to choose. Think about this. You can choose Notre Dame. You could choose Ohio State. Uh, well, assuming they don't make the play. Well, actually, Notre Dame might make the playoff in that scenario. But well, you, you have know, to remember there has to be an ACC team in the Peach Bowl. Well, there has to be an ACC team in one of those spots. Oh, I got you. Okay, I'm okay. Does Notre Dame count as an ACC team? Uh, they can. Yes. Okay, but, but likely, but, but likely they would take a second ACC. But team. in that scenario that I just painted of Wisconsin winning, Notre Dame probably goes to the playoffs. Yeah, probably. Probably. I'm just saying some of those Notre Dame. Have- Notre Dame, if they win this week, is going to make one of those New Year's Six bowls. Right, but all the bowls care about is getting the Ohio State's a very, very attractive team. Even though their fans would be all bent out, Wisconsin's of shape, an attractive team. Yes, they are. But Wisconsin would have to go to Rose Bowl. They're right. going to take 30,000 people. But I'm saying if Ohio State goes to the Fiesta, mm-hmm. now I don't know how their fans would feel because they'd probably be bummed out that they're not in the playoffs. But they usually take a lot of people with them. You know, um, that's all the Bulls care about. It's, it's, a, it's a vacation. Um, so, yeah. See, I, I got to be honest with you. Of all the bowl games, I love the Rose Bowl. I was never there when the sun went down. I always – the two times I covered it, it was it started when the sun was already down. I think the Fiesta Bowl is the greatest bowl game going. All right. Uh, let, me, let, let me give you right now what ESPN projected. This is as of Monday. Okay. Uh, all right. Obviously, they have Bama, Ohio State, Georgia, and Cincinnati as the four. Okay? Okay. All right. Both guys on that. The, okay. The Peach Bowl, they have one. Bangura has Wake Forest and Michigan State. Okay. The other has Pitt and Notre Dame. That's at the Peach Bowl. Okay. Okay. The Fiesta Bowl, one has Notre Dame, Oregon. The other has Baylor, Oregon. So they don't have Oregon winning the Pac-12? No, they have Oregon winning the Pac-12. Or no, no. They have Utah winning the Pac-12. Okay, yeah, because they would Oregon go to, they would go to the Rose yeah. Bowl. Right. Yeah. Michigan, Utah, and the Rose Bowl for both of them. Oklahoma State and Ole Miss for the uh, Sugar Bowl. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Who, who was that in the Sugar Bowl? Oklahoma State Ole Miss. Yeah. 
So Oklahoma doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> Where do they Oklahoma. have Oklahoma? Uh, by the way, I guess I should look this up. How about the Orange Bowl? Oh, oh, the, the Orange Bowl, Bowl is a national semi. It's a national semi, right. So, and so you. so is the uh, Cotton Bowl. Okay. Let me uh, – I'm looking through where they have uh, projections. Here we go. Penn State they have going to Las Vegas to play, play, La- play Was- Washington State. That's a bad game. That's a, That does nothing for me at all, but Penn State would probably win the game, so. And, and that's assuming, like, you know, God. Washington State just fired their coach. I mean, it's, it's, it's come on, man. That's a bad bowl game There's for a, a team like the Knits, you know, to bring people. I mean, the Knits will they'll travel. Yeah, that's that's December thirtieth, by the way. Uh, yeah, Joe Giuliano's last foray. If, yeah. if if he goes, Citrus Bowl will be Iowa and Arkansas. Outback Bowl, Wisconsin, Kentucky. Again, I care about none of these. Bowls. Oh, I know. I'm trying to see Wisconsin. If Wisconsin. Some of those matchups you just mentioned actually aren't horrible matchups. They're you know their, their games are okay, but the way college football is now, I care about the playoffs. By you the know, way, the Bowl, you were asking Bowl. about Oklahoma. Yeah, they, they have Oklahoma, Oregon. The one the one guy has Oklahoma, Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, yeah, and that would be. Now think about this. That would be a. Could be a two-loss Oklahoma team in the Alamo Bowl, mm-hmm. and it could be a three-loss Oregon team. I guess is the way they're figuring it. So, yeah, Oklahoma sure. in the Alamo Bowl. Wow. Sure. Uh, sure. Let me uh, let me uh, let me say goodbye. Uh, thank you. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving for you and the family. Have a great trip to Ralph's, pal. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I am envious of that. Absolutely. Uh, I am I am uh, looking forward to it. Uh, now Ralph's is open now, right? I mean, you can go to Ralph's and sit there, and, and everything's okay. I believe, or are you taking it home? I believe so. Yep. Are you're not taking it home? Then you're going to eat there. Uh, I don't know. I haven't talked to my wife about that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, either either way works. I mean, you know, either exactly. either way is good. Have you ever had the 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 dish that Mike was talking about? That chicken, and I'm I I think I'm naming the right one. Sorrento, but it's got the cream sauce. It is fan. I got it once for my wife because Eddie Barkowitz gets it like almost every time he goes there. It is. It's a little on the rich side. It is fantastic. But I'm, you know, me. I I usually go for the veal parm. I actually like their flounder franchise very much too. They they do a very good one. Yep. But have you ever ventured into the chicken Sorrento? No. Okay. I am not adventurous, so. Okay, how, how about your wife? She usually gets like the ravioli. Okay, well, I'm just, I'm the only throwing it out there. It, okay. It is one of their signature dishes. It's the, the one with the creams. And my wife tried it once because I said, hey, Eddie likes it. And she said she thought it was really, really, really good. Right. So I, I don't order chicken out. That That's my problem. I, I, I just, I don't, you know. Yep. So. All right. What? I think what you should do is get the lasagna and the veal. That's what I think you should do for your birthday. Uh, yeah. Okay. And then I won't be able to eat tomorrow, and that's a whole different story. No, 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 no. You No, you eat one of them, and then on Friday, when everybody else is eating leftover turkey, you are eating a brand-new lasagna okay. that you have saved for two days, and I'm sure, and then you have leftover turkey on Saturday. Okay. You, so you, you go a day, a day, a day, a day, 
I think that's a pretty good game plan. If you're going to drive all the way to South Philly, you might as well buckle up. All right. I will consider it. Thank you, Michael. Okay. I will talk to you when I talk to you. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. Our thanks to Mike Silski for joining us. And our thanks to you for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe this weekend. This has been Working the Well, you went uptown.